Hello and welcome to another episode in the Creating Customer Success podcast series. My name is Dan and I'm your host. And my name is Alex and I'm your co-host. In this series, we are interviewing customer success leaders to learn how to build and run the best CS teams. We hope you enjoy listening. Cool. So Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. Delighted to have you on the show. Um, it would be great just to kick things off if you could give the listeners a quick introduction to yourself and just explain a bit about your background. Sure. Pleasure to be with you. Um, I'm the uh, lucky person uh, who has the privilege of leading customer success at Drift and um, been uh, at Drift for almost a year. So it still feels uh, quite new to me, but um, I spent the last 20 years before for that at uh, a healthcare tech company called Athena Health in the Boston area. And um, uh, that company um, for its entire life uh, did was doing something that SaaS still hasn't really figured out, um, which is to be uh, inextricably connected with customer outcomes. Uh, and so Athena uh, doesn't sell software. Um, they don't sell licenses or seats or uh, upgrade fees or anything like that. Um, what they sell are results and get paid for that as a as a share of revenue with their customers. Um, and so, you know, while Salesforce declared software was dead in 2000, um, uh, Athena was actually declaring SaaS as dead uh, back then. Um, and I think that um, in the tech space, um, what I think we're starting to see in Drift is no exception is a desire to get much more connected with customer outcomes. Uh, and so one of the things that attracted me to Drift was that was that interest um, uh, in a space where um, I think it, historically we haven't seen quite as much um, uh, of, a, of innovation um, from sort of on-premise software to on-the-web software. Uh, like the next step is to be much more connected and um, compensated for customer outcomes. And so that's that's part of the mission that we're 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 on at Drift um, uh, to align ourselves more. Uh, to the outcomes that our customers are hoping to accomplish. And in, in the case of Drift, that's about um, accelerating revenue. Perfect. And in terms of um, like the, the key steps that are in place to try and help you get there, or do you have like a, a set number of goals or strategies? What are the, the starting places really in terms of trying to shift the mindset and um, the strategy to be, as you say, um, connected to focusing on, on outcomes? Yeah. Part of it is that... Um, I think for the most part, one of the, like the challenge that, that I see in SaaS, or at least one of them, is that um, customers uh, essentially buy the right to have uh, an opportunity to use, to set up and use the software uh, in a way that could get them uh, an outcome. And there are so many conditional elements to that um, transactional relationship. Um, and so uh, one of the first things, um, in my mind that helps um, start to create that outcomes connection between a vendor and a customer is to think about what work uh, could be done for the customer. There's the easy stuff like making sure that you understand what the customer's goals are and um, giving them recommendations uh, uh, as to how they can accomplish those goals with your tool or your platform, uh, in which case Drift, Drift is more of a platform than a specific tool. Um, but I think that until you're actually doing work for customers and, and, and helping them achieve results as opposed to um, giving them the opportunity to achieve results, it's really hard to start to feel more um, outcomes oriented. You can be as customer centric as you'd like. And I think we have one of the most customer centric product teams uh, in, the, in the world, but um, you still aren't totally connected with their outcomes unless you're helping them do the work. Um, and that starts with implementation. Um, I think too many tools out there are um, implementation almost is um, is is an option. Um, it's uh, it's uh, uh, most customers um, unless it's super high spend uh, software uh, aren't aren't hiring anyone uh, with the know how to do it for them. And uh, so one of the things that um, I'm very keen on launching is is sort of more of a, a, a required uh, implementation service where we can actually do work um, for the customer to help them learn what conversational marketing is, help them think about the change management they need to go through between marketing and sales, um, help them set drift up and, um, and then help them manage it on an ongoing basis. And that's um, something that we've, that we've layered in this year to our, um, our enterprise service is, uh, is to, and you heard me call it a service, uh, the enterprise package actually um, 
includes ongoing services. Uh, and so beyond the typical CSM who we can get into like what a typical CSM job is, um, there is an actual conversational marketing expert who is uh, who spends their their days analyzing and optimizing um, and helping customers expand their use cases and um, kind of continue to evolve drift um, uh, to be in line with its uh, marketing campaign and, and strategies, which obviously are never standstill. Um, so I think it kind of back to it's a little bit long winded saying um, uh, it's about doing work um, so that we're all in it together. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it's, um, is it kind of linked to the thing that we've seen come up in, in recent episodes in terms of trends of, of how people are structuring customer success teams? But would you say that's what you're trying to do here in terms of maybe creating more specialized roles? So um, is it that you're trying to essentially yeah. look for and create an impl implementation manager as a role and they just focus on getting the customer to a point where implementation has successfully been achieved? And then you also have a, a CSM who is more long-term focusing on those outcomes and those strategies. That's exactly right. Yeah, I think um, the, the evolution that many companies go through, and Drift is no exception, is that um, when they when they get around to creating customer success or account management or whatever they decide to call it, um, it's it tends to you know it tends to not be the first thing they create. Um, uh, and when they do create it, um, people tend to be you know jacks of all trades because when you're starting something new, you know everyone does all the things. Um, and the I know it's cliche, but jacks of all trades, masters of none. Um, uh, that's that that holds. Uh, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, and one of the things that uh, I found uh, when I started was that um, we were asking uh, our our team to do so many um, diverse activities, um, each of which had sort of different levels of urgency and importance, such that um, uh, certain activities um, kind of caused over rotation or sort of uh, a lack of attention to things that perhaps weren't quite as urgent, albeit, you know, super important. Um, uh, so the, some of the specialization we created, uh, one was to start to create um, the concept of an implementation specialist. Um, that isn't uh, another link in the chain of transitions uh, across the customer lifecycle. Um, so it's not like it goes from sales to implementation to customer success because you lose too much um, tribal knowledge and history of the customer's experience uh, with Drift. So um, it's almost like the implementation service is a sub a sub service uh, um, that the CSM can call on uh, on behalf of the customer. Um, uh, but uh, but we also created um, this concept of a conversational marketing specialist who is um, a deep subject matter expert um, domain as well as product uh, that can um, work with our customers who don't have the time to do it themselves or, or want that ongoing service to help them uh, uh, get to a place where they're, they're seeing results and, and sort of playing the right way um, without having to figure it out on their own. Um, and we found that uh, customer results skyrocket um, when they are able to leverage that service. Uh, and so that's, that's obviously good for everyone. So awesome. something like just key areas of specialization we've created so far. I'm sure we will we'll do more. Um, uh, although, you know, uh, I'm also conscientious of not creating a compl complex uh, customer uh, experience. So there's a balance there. That's great. Um, something I was just thinking of there actually is, I guess when you when you first came into Drift within like the first ninety days, what was what was your approach to customer success and understanding like the setup that you inherited and, and the changes that you wanted to yeah. make? Was there anything that you particularly looked at or be interesting to know that approach? Well, being being the somewhat extroverted only child, um, I had to, had to very much hold back my tendency to be a bull in a china shop. Um, uh, I, I think my I, I did my best to um, uh, to listen and learn uh, those the first um, sixty or ninety days, uh, which which is also a little challenging at Drift because one of our you know cultural leadership principles um, is to have a bias for action and ship daily results. So. I tried to focus my daily results uh, to be more about um, articulating observations than trying to make changes. So it was um, it really wasn't until um, September that we uh, that we started to make any kind of um, changes to, um, for example, adding uh, the concept of onboarding service or adding um, ongoing services for customers. But um, uh, I think that there's no perfect way to do this, but we looked at roles and responsibilities. We also looked at compensation plans. Um, I think that uh, CSMs aren't 
salespeople uh, in most cases. And so uh, the comp plans shouldn't be quite um, as oriented toward variable. But um, if there isn't enough variable, it's, I think that um, it's, hard to, it's hard to ensure that you're motivating people based on the kinds of outcomes that you're looking for. Um, and so we definitely looked at um, sort of the, the amount of variable compensation as well as um, what the metrics were that, that uh, it was based on. Um, those were sort of, I'd say, two key uh, elements of, of, of what we looked at. Um, and then given that uh, it's still an early organization um, uh, for Drift, I mean, we're still a fairly young company. Um, uh, some, of the, some of the ancillary uh, sort of customer success operational type of uh, jobs uh, also still don't exist. We're, we're only now starting to create a voice of the customer function. Um, uh, customer support uh, is something that we've uh, matured over the past year and have uh, actually um, stood up a dedicated team for that. But, um, but those, some of those things are still kind of um, emerging uh, as we kind of fill out the, the customer success, success map, if you will. Um, Maybe Gainsight has published a kind of map of several different blocks that I might be referring to, but um, but those are the sorts of things that we'll keep looking at to kind of fill it in and um, mature the organization. So it's not just a um, an army of individuals who are sort of magically responsible for customer outcomes. Brilliant. I think this goes into like the whole specialization thing as well, ensuring that you've got yeah. the. This was to quote someone else that we've recently done a podcast with, but so essentially. Um, ensure that you've got the same level of service across all of your accounts, especially as you then scale that across multiple markets, not having that all in one CSM that does everything, but understanding the specific roles and responsibilities of those individuals and, and how that should differ based on perhaps maybe the different functions within the customer success team. Yeah, I was going to um, ask as well. So obviously with these sort of specialized roles, there's probably uh, different elements that they focus on and naturally like different um, sort of KPIs and objectives that they might have. But in terms of when you started building this this out and actually defining um, what the responsibilities were for each of these roles, how did you find that the uh, maybe the skills and the qualities of, of people that you were looking to hire for these roles differed? Um, I know you mentioned things like having a, a conversational marketing specialist, which is a very as you say, as you say, like the main expertise, um, and it's a very obviously it's a new concept that's being pioneered by Drift. Um, so it requires a lot of maybe change management and that sort of educational thing that we um, we were mentioning before we started recording. But yeah, it'd be good to hear how those roles are uh, maybe different and what the different uh, qualities are that that you sort of uh, defined for for each of yeah. those specialized roles. I'll be a little bit crass for a second, um, but there's some kernel of truth uh, to what I'm about to say, I think, um, that there are like two types of people in the world. There are people who like things to start and finish, and then people who likes who 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 you know like to like care and feeding. They like to nurture things. And so um, in many cases, uh, what makes a great uh, implementation manager uh, uh, is not at all what would make a great customer success manager. Um, and my background, uh, sort of, you know, in the earlier years of my my time in my last company, uh, I I was a project manager. I led teams of project managers. We did really complex implementations with health systems, and um, there was a great feeling of release and accomplishment um, and relief <laughs> um, when a project ended, um, and then you got to start a new one. Um, uh, but uh, but uh, customer success managers, at least the best ones, um, enjoy the journey. Um, uh, a never-ending journey uh, in, in, in many ways and um, enjoy um, making um, incremental and meaningful progress um, in relationships, in um, adoption, in results, in, in, in customer recognition of value. Um, and so there, there, there are sort of necessarily different types of skills you, you'd look for in, in those types of roles. Um, and so you know, when we look for customer success managers, we're looking for people who um, can be very consultative, uh, right? They know how to ask the probing questions and they have the, um, the backbone to keep asking those questions until they get to the, um, maybe until they run out of questions to ask, to truly understand um, problems and opportunities. Um, and then they're also good at change management. They understand organizational dynamics. It doesn't mean they need to have a PhD or anything, but, um, but they need to be able to, help a customer um, uh, whose sales and marketing teams perhaps 
don't talk often or who don't work together often and, and leverage Drift as a bridge to, uh, to do that and to help change the way um, uh, they adopt, uh, sort of the, sorry, change the way they um, engage their users um, uh, uh, on the customer side. Um, and then uh, I think that the, the third thing is, uh, is maybe easier to learn, but that's like domain expertise and drift expertise. Um, we don't have a space for, for people at drift that don't know drift. And so we don't have a role of, of schmoozer um, uh, as sort of like maybe as uh, the stereotype of an account manager or a CSM. These are, these are all people who really understand conversational marketing, understand sales and marketing understand drift um, and that's that's you know part of the superpower um, if we want to be aligned with customer outcomes we have to really understand the backdrop and then how they can leverage um, our tools and services to to accomplish them um, on the other hand people uh, on the implementation side are super organized not that csms aren't but they're project oriented they manage a project plan um, they hold people accountable to hitting deadlines they assess risk they um, they are, have deep technical understanding of the product so that they can drive the correct setup um, and initial outcomes. And they're really charging for sort of like early acceptable levels of adoption and health um, when we know that the outcomes can be more down the road. If you have a six month sales cycle, you're most likely not gonna immediately start to see the revenue flowing uh, uh, that is attributed back to drift, but you, you, can, you can get the right things happening um, uh, uh, at the top of the funnel to drive that. Um, so, so again, it's, it's a little bit, um, uh, it's, it's maybe about, um, like the care and feeding versus getting shit done, um, uh, uh difference. Uh, and similarly with conversational marketing specialists, they're subject matter experts who, um, perhaps have used drift before or who have played, um, uh, sales or, um, sales development roles at Drift, using Drift um, in the past, and so they, they, they have a real deep understanding of what works well, um, both from a setup perspective, but also from a, a use and adoption perspective. Yeah, so true. I think um, you can definitely vouch for that in terms of what you were saying about CSMs enjoying the sort of never-ending journey. Um, yeah, you definitely don't get the same uh, you know sense of relief that you, you were mentioning there, because it basically is just a repeating cycle, isn't it? You know, most uh, most SaaS um, customers will be on something like a twelve month cycle. Right. So you go through that cycle, and then you just repeat the same thing. But I guess, as you say, the the long term aim is to to make that cycle easier and easier every time, and ultimately to work towards what you said right at the start, which is you're not just um, uh, showing them how to achieve outcomes, but you are actually contributing to um, achieving that outcome as well. I think the fundamental realization. Um, that seems like common sense, but we don't always uh, realize it is that um, we might have done something a thousand times, uh, but um, pretty much each of our customers has never done it before, um, especially in a space that is as new as this. Um, and so we, we have a duty to help them with that. Um, but, um, uh, but, but it's not, it's not something that necessarily sort of organizationally comes, comes naturally. So uh, we, we sort of had to explicitly set that up um, and make it a core part of what we do. Yeah, no, sorry. I was, gonna, I was just going to ask actually, so just around conversational marketing, like that in itself is, is something I'd love to, you know, know more about in, and especially how it can perhaps maybe be leveraged by a customer success team. Yeah, great. Um, it's, it's, uh, We've debated whether uh, conversational marketing um, inappropriate, inappropriately pigeonholes us uh, into sort of like the world of marketing and sales. Because, for example, um, uh, Drift Video uh, is another product of ours. Um, uh, we've seen more traction with customer success teams than we have with sales teams, albeit the sales teams have uh, benefited as well. But it was a little bit unexpected um, because sometimes, you know, we think about ourselves as uh, sales and marketing. Um, but our CSMs uh, thrive on videos as well because it's um, it's like the combination of a voicemail and an email uh, and a, a live meeting um, is a video. Uh, and it, it sort of um, is able to borrow some of the best parts of all three of those um, channels. Um, and it just creates a much richer uh, and more efficient version of communication. 
it's not a substitute for having a live conversation, and we have many, many of those, but oftentimes if a customer sends an email um, uh, with a question or they're confused about something, it's so much more effective uh, to send a quick two or three minute video that actually shows them how to do what they're trying to do as opposed to um, a written explanation, which can be confusing or just lead to more back and forth emails or eventually lead to a scheduled conversation that's a week or two out based on mutual availability. Uh, instead, oftentimes a video can um, bring things to, to, to closure really quickly and it's personable. You can see their face, you can hear their voice, you can see what they're doing. Um, and that, that, that comes back to conversational fill in the blank because it's all about how you engage your buyers or customers. Um, are you, are you um, stodgy and cold like a form? Um, uh, or, or are you um, finding ways to make every interaction feel face-to-face -face, um, and, and shoulder-to-shoulder? -shoulder? And so video has been a really incredible uh, way of, of, of creating that, that, um, that feeling um, for what otherwise would be just bland communications. Yeah, it makes complete sense. And I think it will only continue to, to be even more so the case. Um, you know, if you, you look at this generation and uh, how things are developing now, especially given um, obviously what's happening with people being in lockdown and they just become more and more used to it. But even before that, I think, you know, this was, we're, we're starting to come to the generation of like how-to videos. If you um, go on YouTube, everyone goes to YouTube now to look for a how-to video to do something. And you're completely right. It sort of, adds that um, personalized touch to still delivering the same value. Um, so yeah, it makes complete sense that, that that has a lot of traction. I can just imagine as well, perhaps maybe some people listening to this that have been in CS for, for a number of years, probably thinking that's my worst nightmare to kind of put to video myself <laughs> and, and send that across to, to a client. But at the same time, I think it's almost like a generational thing. If you think about Gen Z in particular, probably millennials to some extent, We've grown up with social media and even more so now with even TikTok, the evolution of video. I can yeah. see that as being the future of, of how we communicate with with clients and probably less so moving away from like email and even traditional calls. So, um, yeah. yeah. Drift, drift video was definitely, um, video in general was definitely uh, a very new thing for me when I joined Drift. Uh, and I can't, um, I'm glad that I've, finished toiling over those first couple of videos, re-recording them numerous times, trying to get it just right. Um, but I agree with you, it's probably, uh, there's some generational element to it. I'm, I, I don't know what generation I'm a part of. I think the Gen Xers think I'm too young and the, the, gen, the millennials think I'm an, an old fart. So, um, but either way, I did not grow up with video. Brilliant. Um, I think as well, like, with um, so we, we kind of mentioned this when we when we spoke previously, but the company we work at have kind of adopted Drift with the sales development team, and we've been exposed to some of the emails that that kind of get sent with the use of video. And probably just from a user perspective, it definitely grabs your attention, and it stands out from all of the other emails that people might be getting. Um, particularly, I think the the beauty of it is that it can, you can be very concise and to the point, like you said. But it's that personal factor, probably something from more of like a thinking about just like me and Alex with our clients, the way we're on board people typically, and you'll try to implement tech touch approaches and you don't get great engagement rates when it sometimes is just purely text form. Yeah. So it is perfect, even more so now, just to have that personable touch. Somebody can see your face and they already probably feel like they know you after seeing a, you know, a short video introduction prior to them. Yeah, no, cool. I, I, I agree completely, um, but it's not, you know, it's not just um, a way to make one-to-many communications more engaging or pop out in the inbox when you see the GIF of the, of the, of the video view. Um, you know, people that work in the enterprise space know this, and that's why they travel so much um, to get in the room together. Uh, it's so much easier to lower the waterline and to make a connection and develop um, trust and a good working relationship if you're... Um, sorry, my son's playing in the background. Uh, I'm not supposed to apologize for that anymore. Um, uh, but um, you know, you get you get that level of trust from face to face. But it's not something that the small end of the market has ever been able to afford. Um, and so, I honestly think that 
video is not a substitute for traveling and, and having face-to-face -face interactions uh, in, in, in industries and segments where it makes sense, but it's almost a way to create some of that um, in the smaller end of the, of the market where we've been confined to, to emails and scheduled um, Zoom meetings um, uh, in the past. And now uh, we can just have a little bit more of that. And the more, the more we can see each other and see body language, um, we can create um, uh, sort of just a deeper connection, um, even if it's asynchronous. Uh, it's a big, big part of developing trust. Completely agree. And um, I guess kind of with that, so it's probably for, for many companies, a, a unique way of engaging with clients, uh, probably quite an in innovative approach as well. Have you got any other examples of ways that the customer success team at Drift are currently engaging with, uh, yeah, with users or with clients? Yeah, I think that the holy grail of customer success is to figure out what leads to churn um, and to figure those things out uh, so that they are leading enough indicators that you can um, spot the churn before it's uh, written in stone. Um, and very few companies, uh, Drift included, have perfectly figured that out. Um, but one of the things that I think Drift has done really well is invested in data operations. And they did that at a very, very early stage. Um, and so we have a really great team of, of people who uh, are analytical. Um, we have great systems set up um, uh, to, to track information um, ranging from smallest little things in the product to um, sort of broader, more relational things um, about um, uh, who we're working with at the customer. And so we have been able to kind of zero in on some uh, early indicators that a customer, um, in our case, would be a customer that's not seeing value, um, would be one that would not want to renew because uh, we're focused on outcomes. And if those outcomes aren't happening, um, that's a problem. Um, so the key is like, what are the things that will not lead to outcomes so that, um, you know, once sales cycles start to run their course, you actually do see pipeline and revenue being attributed. Um, so, uh, so for for us, um, the things that have helped us focus um, and helped us um, uh, achieve some of what um, a CS team you know wants to accomplish, which is to be proactive, to you know, to find problems before customers realize they have them, um, is to leverage those data operations to start to find. Um, uh, correlations uh, upstream, um, uh, and they tend to revolve around um, certain types of adoption and what we call customer health metrics uh, to help us prioritize the customers that we should reach out to who, you know, maybe they're past the stage of onboarding, um, maybe they onboarded themselves before we had our own onboarding team, um, and um, reach out to them and say, hey, you know, we think you could be getting more out of this, and, uh, you know, we feel accountable just uh, as much as you might um, for your results. So let us help you. Let us um, dig in with you. Let us um, reset in a way. Um, uh, it might be a simple optimization or it might be a more wholesale um, uh, adjustment to, to help the customer shift um, their use of drift as their marketing strategy may have shifted recently. And so uh, they're out of sync. Um, so so the, 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 the ability to you know, have a handful of impactful metrics that help us like create a signal for CSMs to be proactive um, is, is a really important step that we've taken um, and we'll continue to evolve and iterate as we sort of um, um, become more and more precise. But uh, that, that's one of the things that every CS team should be trying to figure out. Um, how can I spot problems before customers even realize they have one? Yeah, I, I was going to say it, it does seem to be a trend for most customer success teams within SaaS companies. Uh, you know, this idea of health scoring and being able to spot the churn, as you say, before it happens, that seems to be one of the key challenges that people have. So, um, yeah, do you, do you think that that should be um, the main priority for customer success teams at the moment should be um, invest more in enabling those sort of things? Because if you compare this to, as we were saying, like a sales team, for example, um, you know, most companies would definitely have invested in things like CRM systems. Um, most companies would have either sales enablement or sales operations, but it is quite rare that you hear of CS operations or CS enablement, for example. Yeah, yeah. We, we CS operations is a fairly um, mature function for us, although we have so much more to do there. Um, we 
we started investing in CS enablement at the beginning of this year. Um, so we're, we're, we're on the learning curve there, but um, that, that is important. I think, um, you know, the ultimate goal of a CS team that doesn't have commercial responsibilities. So my, my team doesn't have, have responsibilities for selling or expanding customers. We have uh, people in the sales organization to do that. Um, our ultimate goal is to retain customers um, and, to, uh, and to make customers um, see value so that they do want to expand, whether that's to add another sales region or go from you know, half their sales team to their full sales team. Um, or to um, you know upgrade their 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 product plan to take advantage of different features um, or services like automation. Um, so so at the end of the day, um, we have to choose between paying for the end result, which would be like gross dollar attention and net dollar attention, um, or um, uh, paying for uh, things that are upstream that perhaps. Um, aren't quite as lagging indicators uh, of success, but are, are also prone to um, more complexity. Uh, so, you know, I didn't tell you that we've perfectly found the metrics that um, if you get those right, every customer will stay. Um, and, and, and that's fine. We, you know, we'll probably be on that, on that hunt forever. Um, uh, but to uh, the, the risk of paying based on, uh, on that is that if you, if you're, if you're, if you aren't, if you're, if you're not um, calibrated perfectly, uh, you could be paying people to do things that are counterproductive. Um, and so, I tend to lean toward those those outcome uh, measures, even if they are a bit lagging. And then, it's important to connect um, uh, those outcomes with the things that we're trying to do, with the KPIs we're tracking, with the sort of health and adoption measures, so that people understand. The impact of their work, um, not only on the the customers uh, as as a whole, but um, but on on ultimately their paycheck uh, as well. That's sort of where I where I lean until I am so convinced that um, uh, an operational metric is is uh, is the correct one. Um, at that point, um, uh, tying compensation to it could be more of an option. But I don't think I don't think too many companies are quite there. Um, and you know, for the most part, the the, the sort of proactive monitoring that companies will do is looking at things like seat and license utilization. Um, because yeah, one would say if someone's not using all their licenses, they're going to um, stop paying for them. Or if their utilization goes down, they're likely to be leaving, but that's cheating. Like not cheating, but it's like, it's, I feel like if you stop there, you're selling yourself short because again, like you're just worried about, you know, is my customer, using everything that they're paying for, but you have no idea, you're not focused on what they're getting out of that usage, um, what those people are doing with the seats that they're using or not using. And so that's again where, um, you know, our KPIs uh, in CS, they're not that basic. They're, they're looking at our customers. If you think about the top of the funnel, um, when it comes to chat, um, there's, uh, there are visitors to a website um, there are companies uh, spend money to get more visitors to the website, um, and uh, are they showing drift uh, to those visitors? How are they engaging with those visitors? Is it a personalized way um, based on what we know about those visitors? Um, uh, are those visitors then engaging with drift? Um, are they providing? Are they qualifying themselves? Uh, are they scheduling meetings? Um, uh, are they chatting with sales reps? Uh, and we can see sort of how all those things convert. And, um, and so at the very core, um, one of the key leading indicators is whether site visitors are having conversations with the chatbot and with sales reps. Um, and so we, we kind of have a sense of what a healthy, um, healthy volume of chats uh, is that isn't the be all and end all, but we know that um, without those, none of the rest of the things in the funnel happen. And so we're we work on some of that kind of early adoption and um, and and sort of um, basic outcomes, uh, knowing that 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 can lead to great things down funnel, um, which are a little bit more lagging. Um, so it's those sorts of things that we help our CSMs understand the connection of uh, between uh, you know with revenue for our customers, um, and 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 are able to motivate them that way as opposed to paying them directly for for something that. Um, uh, that isn't necessarily the the outcome, the ultimate outcome that we're we're striving for.
Yeah, and, we, and when you talk about um, moving towards measuring the outcome as opposed to, um, I guess, the steps before that, which are just the, the levels of usage and adoption, um, I guess one of the questions that often comes up here is what is actually an outcome and how do you actively know whether you've achieved it or not? So would you say that that comes down to, I guess, more more to do with the the skills and the qualities that you mentioned about a CSM? So have they actively done the discovery and have they actually consulted with the customer to really understand what is the outcome for them and, and what would it, what would yeah. success look like for them? This is one of the trickiest things um, in a, a SaaS economy um, to get right because um, most businesses thrive because they, uh, main, they, they, they attract and retain many, many, many customers, um, not just a couple of dozen super high dollar enterprise contracts like those those companies are um, lucky and unlucky in other ways um but um uh but when you have so many customers um paying uh in some cases relatively small amounts of money per month or per year um uh, uh to subscribe to your service uh, or your tool um you can't afford to craft brew every single customer's experience um and so there's a real tricky balance um like you hear people who kind of like academically riff about customer success and they talk about how you know you have to align um customer goals uh with something that you do for them in order for there to be success um and and it almost preaches that you have to uh, customize every uh, element of a customer's experience uh, in order to be successful and that's um that's a fool's errand um, in many ways, but you also can't just be vanilla. Um, an ice cream store that only sells vanilla will go out of business very quickly. Um, and so there's, there's a balance that, um, uh, that needs to be found between understanding the core reason or reasons that customers choose you um, and the value that comes from that and Kind of making that your the boundaries of uh, of goal setting, but within that, customers may have different priorities. So we have customers who, yeah, they have a, an ultimate goal of increasing pipeline, um, and so uh, we can orient around that. But some customers just want to improve lead gen or lead to meeting conversion rate, and so <clears throat> all of those things are kind of in bounds um, for what we would do with a customer. Um, but would allow us to ensure that we optimize their at least initial deployment around the things that they're keenly focused on. Uh, because uh, if, we, if we say, great, I see your goal is A, let's talk about B and C. Um, that's, that's, um, that's, uh, that's sort of a little too self-oriented and, and not um, empathetic enough to the fact that um, a customer has told you what their goal is. Um, and it may not be the full, um, experience that that they should be having or it may not even be enough to justify renewal downstream but if you don't actually address that they're often not willing to listen to all the other things that they should be doing as well um so we have to kind of meet them where they are and build from there yeah and then does this then feed into things like um planning and outlining your proactive engagement strategy as well so we kind of touched on it before like the video engagement not just being great for sort of one-to-many um sort of tech engagement but also building those one-to-one relationships and i think sometimes maybe the default position is if you have a larger enterprise account that comes on they need to have you know the uh, really deep sort of handheld uh, relationship they need to be shown step by step every single step of the way when in reality um, as you say, if you've properly understood what are the reasons that they chose you, what are they um, looking to do? It might be that they actually don't need that much support and they're in a position where they have the capacity and the resource to onboard something like Drift fairly easily, fairly quickly, and they don't actually need like really um, heavy one-to-one support, for example. I would say that um, the gamble that uh, that is sort of like modern SaaS is that we do, we, we, we as companies, um, allow ourselves to introduce totally uncontrolled variables into the success equation, which is um, people at customers doing things they've never done before or don't necessarily know how to do um, always results in super inconsistent and unpredictable outcomes. And yeah, you will, I, you know, there are, there are customers of all sizes uh, that happen to have 
the right people with the right focus, with the right goals, with the right skill set at the right time to make whatever fill in the blank successful. Um, but again, with the outcome orientation, this is why if you as a company do work that you can do for the customer, um, you probably can do it more efficiently. You probably can do it um, uh, 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 better. Uh, and so you've got lower cost and higher quality. And, and you can also help um, make results more consistent. Uh, and if you think about your software as just the vehicle by which you deliver a service uh, to customers, um, then again, like you start to flip into that, my job is to deliver an outcome as opposed to show someone how to use something. Um, uh, and so um, enterprises have more resources. They also have more complex politics uh, and decision-making processes um, and uh, often have um, severe budget pressures, particularly in times like this. And so I wouldn't say that necessarily enterprises are more likely to succeed um, than anyone else, um, but the type of help they, they need or the intensity of that might, might vary. Um, but at the end of the day, um, making sure that we uh, align with a customer about why they chose to invest um, uh, can help ensure that we set them up in a way that will hit on their goals, but also then advise them on other ways that they can um, get value out of the platform so that the sum of those things equals you know, emotionally satisfied customer, but also satisfied from a business results perspective. You know, they talk about emotional loyalty and um, the other type, I don't remember what the other is called, like I'll call it rational loyalty, but, you know, are the business results there, but do they feel good too? Um, and if you deliver amazing results, but completely ignore the stated goal of a customer, you're still leaving it to chance um, at whether they're going to stick around. Kind of, um, I guess kind of on that as well, so the, the thing I'm just thinking about here, so in terms of the approach, with outcomes one is like proactive so the client comes on board you want to understand exactly why they've bought into your product or service and then you're going to help them to achieve that with more of a consultative approach to really be the expert and to provide that guidance and support but then also why what i've probably found in the past is kind of in that role itself because you are that go-to expert you can then fall into like a reactive role whereby you have those people coming to you with like the daily questions around what things that they should be doing issues they might be having and it's the balance between that reactive side and then also continuous sorry continuing the proactive element of the role to make sure you're tracking against those goals those outcomes yeah. make sure that we're delivering that and especially across enterprise organizations where you can have like multiple stakeholders involved is that a challenge that you've had at drift and if so how have you, yeah, how have you managed that? Um, spoiler alert, um, we haven't figured that out. And um, I don't know that anyone necessarily has perfectly, but um, there's absolutely reactive work um, mm -hmm. for CSM. Some of it is appropriate and some of it is uh, work, uh, you know, the most common, you know, culprit is, oh, that that's a support thing. That should have been, that customer should have gone to support with that. Maybe that's true, um, but a little introspection is is valuable there, and um, we're certainly doing that ourselves because we get our fair share of customers who, um, rather than reach out to support, will reach out to their customer success manager with um, pretty basic day-to-day -day things that they probably would have gotten an easier resolution to uh, with support. But we have to ask ourselves um, why that happened. Um, on some level, you have to just assume it's it's your fault as the as the vendor um, that the customer went. Um, somewhere other than where you'd like them to go uh, for their help. Um, and we're trying to figure that out because we, we know that our CSMs are um, helping customers with pretty routine things that um, doesn't mean the work is beneath them, but I think everyone needs to practice at the top of their license. And uh, we've um, built and staffed a great support team. Um, uh, and so uh, any, any, any amount of work that could be going to them um, is preventing proactive work uh, that is sort of the stated job of, of another team um, from being done. Um, so we haven't, we haven't cracked that code uh, fully. Um, uh, and we certainly, we certainly will. Uh, I think 
we'll we'll want to hear from our customers as well as opposed to just kind of trying to look at metrics and interview internal people um, to solve that. But it's it's not something we've truly embarked on in a I would say in a um, intensive way just yet. But I think that um, you know a customer who reaches out to you uh, with a question or a problem um, that's one of the most important things to them in that moment and to uh, again meet customers where they are and to uh, treat those questions with the same kind of uh, sense of uh, urgency that they have um, will help um, uh, in terms of loyalty um, and uh, again if we think about our job as to help customers achieve outcomes generally when they have a question that means they're having trouble getting the outcome they're looking for and so we should feel um, honored that they're asking us to participate in that. Um, I would say that, um, you know, again, like we, we, we will need to continue to diagnose the causes of sort of reactive and proactive work fighting with each other. I think we've, we've been able to maintain enough of a balance that we're not completely falling down on either end. Um, but we certainly know that there's, there's always more proactive work that could be done. We can get farther down the prioritized list uh, of, of customers to reach out to um, uh, when we see something, uh, if there's, you know, less reactive work. Um, so it's a, it's, it's an ongoing battle. It's, it's, I think a little bit of a, um, uh, a war of, of baby steps or of inches as opposed to um, giant leaps. Brilliant. Uh, I completely agree with you as well. It's like one of those things that firstly, it's, it's a good sign to some extent that they're reaching out to you because they see you as that trusted advisor. Um, and also things can happen from those conversations. Like they can get in touch with one particular query, which in that moment mm -hmm. is really important to them. And as a result of that, you can have further conversations, which probably highlight outcomes that you wouldn't have identified without that incident. So uh, mm -hmm. it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely important. It's just interesting just because it's probably a personal challenge that I've had in the past whereby you, you can have those busy periods of being reactive and then sometimes the proactive aspects of the role that you want to do, you find yourself perhaps maybe not being able to do. And it's probably a time, one, a time management piece, but then also just understanding how can you structure the team with specializations such as a separate support team, like you said, and probably channel through some of those queries in slightly different ways. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. Perfect. Um, one of the things we, we were going to ask you about is um, how drift is being impacted by uh, COVID-19. So um, I guess linking it back to you, some of the, the things that we've spoken about, so like the video engagement and the need for, um, you know, still being able to create those uh, or build those relationships uh, without the ability to travel. Um, so yeah, it'd be good to hear just how, how things are being impacted at drift and, and yeah. you know, what are the new challenges that you're maybe hearing from um, existing clients or customers that you're working with, and then maybe ones that you've been, onboarding during this period as well yeah um where to start um like i said before we've had customers impacted in a variety of ways some of our customers uh business is thriving um uh, some of our customers businesses have fallen apart and some of them um, are kind of somewhere in the middle where maybe they're i wouldn't say not affected but um uh they're they're sort of chugging along i think that um what we did see is that many, many businesses um, uh, just in, in this economic crisis sought to um, take a look at their budgets um, and their spend just sort of um, preemptively, uh, even if they weren't affected. And so we, we saw, um, we found ourselves in a lot of conversations with customers who uh, felt like they should um, leave or felt like they wanted um, economic relief, even if they were getting an insanely um, great results um, and return on their investment and um, have a fair amount of empathy there because every business is trying to figure out where can they, where can they um, uh, find some efficiency. Um, but one of the things that, um, that this experience has helped us realize is that, you know, we're not always that good at um, uh, articulating value to customers and and uh to assume that customers will just figure it out on their own is um uh is is a little bit foolish and so as I, as we continue to evolve and remember we're only a couple of years in as a uh as a company with a meaningful amount of business um i think that we're we're realizing that we we need to be 
um, much crisper um, uh, with value articulation and much um, much more oriented around, like I said before, helping customers get the results they're looking for um, and keeping them on that path um, from beginning to end. Um, because if you sort of take your finger off that pulse, if you take your eyes off the road, um, trying to figure out how many terrible metaphors I can mix into this, um, you, you, you often find that the customer can kind of fall out of sync with what they're getting. Um, and all it takes is a change in points of contact or an economic crisis to find yourself um, uh, uh, staring down the barrel of, of churn when you didn't expect it. Um, and it certainly has helped uh, us refocus on making sure that um, we have a much higher level of urgency to align with customers on outcomes and value, um, even um, maybe more rapidly than the kind of evolution we were already embarking on. Yeah, for sure. And do you think, um, I guess now is the time to even enhance things like empathy and understanding for clients as well, going back to what you said about creating emotional loyalty as well. Like there's, there's an opportunity to come out of this the other side and be a really, uh, you know, trusted partner. And, um, you know, go, going back to what you said right at the start and actually doing work for clients, um, this is potentially the, the best opportunity for that, I guess. Yeah. And I think that um, there, there have been there have been you know, numerous cases where we've helped with some relief with customers whose business has been severely impacted. Um, we've also had some customers who are making a killing um, and uh, like a good, like any business is like doing their due diligence, trying to see if they can get some relief from anyone. Um, and like, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing to do, but we've, we've held our ground in some cases. Um, and um, that doesn't mean not being empathetic, it just means um, sort of trying to pivot the conversation to like, okay, like you acknowledge you're getting a ton out of this. Um, where can you get more? Um, and uh, we've offered, uh, you know, some free services to, to customers who um, perhaps like are, are missing the mark, um, even if they're getting great um, success already. Um, and so, again, like there are different ways other than just a discount or economic relief to um, show that you're a great partner and show that you care um, and can help them uh, help a customer deliver uh, great results. So um, it's uh, empathy is really important because uh, if you, if you practice it, then you can come up with ways um, that deepen your relationship um, and help customers get what they need uh, without it being a simple sort of black and white. Are you, are you going to or are you not going to type of transaction? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, like you say, it's, it's in it for the long term, really, isn't it? Not really offering like a flash sale on all right. all licenses and trying to build up the goodwill for the brand in the long term. I guess. Yeah, I've seen I've seen a lot of companies doing things like trying to, you know, offer discounts for long term contracts. Um, uh, and great, long term contracts are wonderful, um, uh, but they only put off uh, a problem if you don't actually solve the fundamental thing, which is, you know, am I, am I doing the things that help my customers um, achieve what they're, what they're after? Um, and so, yeah, there are certainly some things out there that are more in the category of gimmick during this time, as opposed to sort of taking a step back and saying, okay, like, what are we in this together for? And are we achieving that? And if not, um, how, how can we pivot? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, the phrase, the new normal is being thrown around a lot. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think that will look like when, when we come out of this to the other side? Um, you know, where, where is customer success going to sit? And, and it, or if this is going to change, yeah. what will change? I've, I've had my ostrich moments uh, where I just think that, you know, this flu season will pass and everything <laughs> will all just go back to normal. Um, and I'm kind of a hugger. So uh, I have a feeling that I'll I'll have a difficult transition because my sense is that the, the new normal will actually be a little bit more reserved in public. Um, I don't know if that's a forever thing or if that's just a, until there's uh, you know clear herd immunity and vaccine in place uh, so that it's not dangerous to um, interact uh, with large numbers of people or, or, or be more intimate um, with people. But um, uh, uh, this is a time when introverts are rejoicing. Um, the uh, I, I I don't think anything. I'm sure I'm wrong, but I don't think anything fundamental is going to change about the trajectory that customer success is on. I think that um, it's still an emerging profession. Um, uh, some people will say it's just account management rebranded. Those people are are, are misinformed um, because account management was never doing the things 
that customer success is trying to do. And in many cases, you need both of those types of roles. Um, I think that the evolution of customer success will continue, which is to be more objective, more focused on data, more analytical, um, not necessarily the CSMs themselves, but the engine behind it um, to help find the things that we should focus on um, so that it's not just um, a subjective or craft brewed um, engagement with customers. Um, it's not just uh, about asking, how are you doing? Um, and hoping that the customer tells you what to focus on. Um, it's it's flipping, flipping that, inverting the problem and finding out what you should focus on um, before the customer realizes it. Um, and that doesn't, that doesn't mean that like your only job is to be a magician with customers. Um, I think that creating meaningful moments where you can talk about value, where you can reset on goals, where you can continue to be aligned with their tactics and their strategy, um, those are really important. And that, that kind of relationship development, that kind of um, intimacy and, and, um, and customer orientation also help build um, what becomes a partnership as opposed to um, something that's transactional. So customer success will continue to evolve through that. Um, uh, it's a really hard job, um, especially um, uh, as we've sort of uh, completed the transition for the most part into the world of um, subscription. Um, and we're now sort of starting to enter a, a world of, of outcomes. Um, whether companies realize it or not, uh, uh, it's going to be even more important that we, we truly understand people, why people buy, why people stay, um, and how to help them at some sort of scale um, achieve the things that will cause those behaviors. Um, so we're, we're, it's just the very beginning uh, of all this, but it's an exciting place to be. Amazing. Yeah, completely agree with you. I think um, in, in some instances, this was maybe, as you say, sort of already happening before this, um, you know, before lockdown and before uh, the world was sort of put a stop into it. Um, so, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think once we come out of this either side, it will continue um, with, with what already started, really, in terms of the trend of moving towards uh, being more data driven. I also definitely think there will be a trend towards specialization, um, which we, we obviously mentioned um, at the start as well. Um, but yeah, final sort of section that we usually, uh, focus on in the episodes is around advice. Um, so for any of our listeners that are maybe, uh, really interested in growing their career and becoming a CS leader, uh, what would your main advice be? What should they be focusing on in their career? What, um, kind of mm. things should they, they try and, um, grow and develop? Do all the things, uh, <laughs> find a way to do all the jobs. Um, I spent the first 12 or 15 years, 12 years of my career um, going really deep and growing really well in, in a very narrow slice of what you know, a customer success organization would do, um, uh, implementation, training, consulting. Um, and uh, I would never be in the position I am in today if I hadn't um, started doing some of the other things. And so some of the other roles that I had um, at my last company were to um, lead the um, small market um, account management function. We didn't call it customer success yet. Help with the customer success transformation. Um, lead voice of the customer, um, uh, which included uh, uh, sort of like the, the beginnings of a customer success analytics or operations group. Um, uh, lead a customer engagement team that's responsible for figuring out how to create um, ways for customers to engage with your company and brand um, outside of the one-to-one -one relationships that uh, customers might have with um, with CSMs. So um, doing as many jobs and getting as many perspectives as you can, um, uh, learning how to make customers successful at different stages of their life cycle um, can give you the perspective to develop, I don't know, the to, to, to take your licks and develop the wisdom that, that um, I probably don't necessarily have fully myself to, 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 to lead a group of those teams. Um, so I think that one of, the, one of the things I see people do often is they jump around from company to company, um, but in, in similar types of roles or maybe growing vertically uh, within a type of role. But I don't think that's necessarily the right um, tactic uh, if someone wants to uh, grow the span of their responsibility. Um, and I think that it's often more a motivation uh, of 
uh, an intense sense of like needing to keep up uh, financially, right? I took I took a CSM job at this company um, because it's a it's a fifteen percent uh, increase in my comp, and so like that's a big deal because like my apartment's really expensive, and I live in a city that's um, and I just feel like I've got to keep up. But if you take a step back and look at your career, um, you should actually make a lateral move at your company um, into another role and learn how to be great at that because what it what that does allow you to do is avoid having to rebuild your brand um, because you're a known quantity and it allows you to show a proven track record of staying with a company um, of uh, developing a broader set of skills um, all oriented around making customers successful that when the time comes for uh, for someone to consider you for a management position or a position leading one of those functions or multiple functions they already know that you can do the things, that you have the perspective, that you've developed the empathy, that you can collaborate cross-functionally, um, and you're just all the more likely to be considered for, for something bigger. So um, uh, the race to the top should not start in one's 20s. Um, I love that. It's kind of just of advice. It's almost just like being patient, isn't yeah. it? And, um, you know, just being comfortable, like learning your craft almost and not being in a rush for a title change for the, for the sake of it. And, you know, really becoming an expert in what you do and focusing yeah. on, on the long term, I guess, which is, it, it can be difficult to do, especially I'd probably say from again, a generational thing, like I heard loads of stats around like millennials, especially obviously job hopping more than previous generations. Um, but I think, I think that's an important bit of advice for people probably, listening to this right now um yeah and, and I, I think millennials get a bad rap um uh because i suspect like gen xers or or whatever generation you want to look at if they had um the internet uh uh in in their time you would see a similar dynamic because information um and platforms like linkedin didn't exist back then uh, or wasn't as easily accessible and and so it wasn't as easy to job hop, um, but people probably would have if they had access to, you know, a network where they saw what the opportunities were. Um, so I don't think, I don't, I, I don't kind of condemn any generation for sort of like uh, uh, that that approach. Um, I think that we're experiencing kind of the rational reality of uh, of a society. At least I can speak for, you know, for the most part, for my own country, where people feel an enormous amount of pressure to get ahead um, and um, and there are still, um, for a variety of reasons, massive disparity between what different companies pay, um, combination of cash, equity, um, uh, other things. And so um, people, people uh, inadvertently find themselves in this position where they feel like they need to chase something. Um, and uh, I think that the, the most important thing is that people find something they love doing. Um, uh, around people they love being around who've created a culture that um, they appreciate and any problem you're trying to solve in that environment um, is one worth solving and one that you'll get a lot of um, uh, uh, a lot of pleasure from and if you kind of focus on uh, we talk about being a curious learning machine if you focus on learning um, then you'll you'll find yourself being enriched and becoming a better professional and in the end probably being better off economically um, but it is, it's really, it's really tempting when you have recruiters banging down your LinkedIn door all the time um, with enticing offers. Um, and work is frustrating, right? Your career is, is not just rainbows and unicorns. Um, uh, there are definitely times when it's stressful, when you feel frustrated. Maybe you don't think you're growing uh, as quickly as you'd like to. And so um, the noise from the outside can be, um, can be a real detriment to your long-term success. Uh, but again, Find find a company uh, with a mission that is worth fighting for, um, that has great people, um, and uh, usually that means they've created a great culture, and that's something to stick with. Find yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, li- I like the point around you know sort of focusing on learning. I think it's it's so easy to get caught up in um, analyzing performance, and you know, did I hit my KPIs or yeah. uh, my targets this quarter, this year? And you're completely right if you stop to think. Well, maybe you did. Maybe you hit 100% plus of all your targets. But did you actually learn something new in the past year? Have you continuously challenged yourself? And yeah, as yeah. you say, if if that's not the case, then maybe, um, yeah, you're you're not really growing um, in in your career. So yeah, I think that's really good advice. 
I think that's it for me as well. It's not so much. I th- I do see I do see how people may change companies, um, which I've done myself kind of in the past. But I think it's the motivation behind doing that, like you say, not doing it necessarily for more money or because you think the grass is greener. But perhaps, like you touched on the culture, I'm making sure the culture of the company is aligned to your values and perhaps gives you what you want from it in terms of that learning opportunity to progress and and kind of move forward. And that doesn't necessarily mean an immediate promotion, but like Alex said, making sure that you're continuous continuously learning on a you know on a daily basis as opposed to perhaps maybe being quiet um in the you know similar activity like day to day just focusing on KPIs. But that's that is a fair point. Um I'm not advocating that no one ever leaves the company that they work at, Um, but you just need, you need a broader set of criteria to consider um, beyond, will it pay me a little bit more um, uh, when deciding that? And and that's where like, it's hard to take the long view um, because, you know, sometimes like a month can feel like an eternity. Yeah. Especially now. But but not in hindsight. In hindsight, it's just a blip. Yeah. So true. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And, you know, um, yeah, thank you so much for, for joining us today. I think it's been a really, really insightful episode in terms of, you know, understanding um, your opinions and, and how you guys are doing things at Drift um, in terms of structuring, um, focusing on outcomes, but also making sure that those outcomes are actually um, helping clients be successful. So, um, yeah, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have taken um, a lot of insight from this. So, yeah, thank you so much for, for joining. Um, it's been a real pleasure. And, um, yeah, hopefully be able to do this again um one day yes, in the future I, uh, I enjoyed it thoroughly and i really appreciate you including me thank you perfect thanks kevin thanks kevin okay.